Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, Ruth chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Speaking about Ruth here. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Eli Melech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now, in our study of Ruth here, we've seen from verse 3 that the bravery of Ruth, she's gone out alone to go get food for herself and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. We saw that she just happened to come to a part of the field that belonged to Boaz, and she asked permission from Boaz's foreman if she could just please come and glean in that part of Boaz's field. And when we read in verse 4 the words, and behold, Boaz, we can hear the spotlight now moving from Ruth with those words, and behold, Boaz, and it's come now to, to be on Boaz. And we're told in verse 4 that Boaz has come from Bethlehem, where he was probably attending some sort of important business. And so what we see in verse 4 is Boaz, the important businessman, returning from the city to his farming enterprise. And what God wants us to see here is something very important about Boaz, the businessman as he returns to his business. And what God wants us to see is the first thing that Boaz does when he comes back from a business trip. Because the first thing that Boaz does shows us what kind of a man is this man Boaz. 
So what God is wanting to show us in verse 4 is, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. See, how this verse reads is very important for us to see. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, here's how we can say it says. We could like, let's put it like this. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, so how many bushels have you reaped since I've been away? All right. Or and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, what's your projection for how many bushels you're going to reap by the end of the day? See, that's what you'd expect from a normal businessman. But Boaz is not a normal businessman. And it shows the strength of this word in verse 4 when it says, Behold, and behold, and behold in verse 4. It's saying, now, here's something that you would not expect from a normal businessman, from a normal big businessman who returns to his business. The first thing he says to his reapers is not about how many bushels they have or they're going to get or, or anything like that. The first thing he says is, the Lord be with you. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an and behold Verse 4, when in the middle of the most tense time of the year for a businessman, Boaz returns to his field and his first concern is that the Lord should be with his reapers? The first concern for Boaz's business is God's business of being with others. And God wants us to see that Boaz, he took up God's offer that he made to me, that he's made to Boaz. Boaz, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. Boaz, you take care of me being with the reapers, I'll take care of your business of, of reaping corn. And the and behold in verse 4 is God saying to us just that. It shows us just how much Boaz was first a believer and second a businessman. I want you right now to think that, and as I'm speaking this to you, it's like a big mirror on this platform. I'm preaching to myself. That's why I'm getting all worked up about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm hearing those big words, those big three words in verse 4. And behold, Boaz. And I'm getting those four words. And behold, Boaz. And I'm getting it. That Boaz was a believer first before he was a businessman. Are you getting that like I'm getting that? I mean, maybe you're not a businessman. So, so you're a student. So the first three words in verse 4 is asking you the question, are you a believer before you're a student? You know, or maybe you're a wife or a mom. And the first three words of verse 4 is saying to you, are you a believer before you're a wife, before you're a mom? And whatever those first three words are in verse 4, it's like a pointing a finger from the page, and it's asking us the question, are you like Boaz? Are you a believer first? And also in those first three words in verse 4, we can hear God talking like he's saying from those three words. He's saying, you've got to not miss this about Boaz. You've got to see this about Boaz. God really loves to show off his people like this. He loves that. He likes to show off his children that are walking with him. He likes to do that. In those three words, we can see God saying to those around him, have you had a good look at my child Boaz down there? I mean, there he is. You see him down there? He's got all these pressures on him, whether his business is going to make it or not. He's more concerned about the reaper's spiritual condition than on their employment condition. He's saying, are you getting that? In those three words, we see a repeat of what God did. That's what he did when he's showing off his child Job. In Job 1.8, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and eschewest evil. See, those three words, we can see God saying, Hast thou considered my servant Boaz? There's none like him in the earth, a believer before he's a businessman. 
See, whenever I go to the plasma center in El Cajon, the guard always greets me with, hello, boss. I don't know why he says that, but he does that every time. Hello, boss, he says that. Well, what we've seen in verse 4 is Boaz, he's not speaking to his employees as a boss. And they didn't say, hello, boss. Yeah. And what's so interesting is what Boaz did say to them in verse 4. And what he said, is very interesting what he said. He didn't say, I hope the Lord is with you. He didn't say, I want the Lord to be with you. What we see Boaz said in verse 4 is, the Lord be with you. See, when Boaz didn't say, I hope or I want or, you know, the Lord should be with you. He said, the Lord be with you when he said that. See, he says that with authority. He's walking in there and he say, he's with authority. He said, the Lord be with you. See, he's speaking with power when he said, the Lord be with you. To say the Lord be with you is a declaration. It's an authoritative, powerful declaration that he's making there. To say the Lord be with you is something that a priest would say. And Boaz is speaking to his employees as a priest. And so as a priest, Boaz is saying, as a priest, I'm praying that the Lord be with you. And as a priest, he speaks for the people to God. That's what the priest does. He speaks for the people. He speaks for the people to God as opposed to a prophet who speaks for God to the people. To pray to God for others is the work of a priest. And that's what Boaz is doing in verse 4. Only a priest prays like Boaz prays in verse 4. Boaz prays like a priest. That's exactly what God has called us to do. God has called us as believers. He has made us priests that we should pray for others. We're told that God has made us priests in 1 Peter 2.9, where he said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a peculiar people. You should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, in Revelation 1.5-6, he, he speaks about us, and speaking about us, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and Father, and his Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, those words at 1 Peter 2.9, the royal priesthood in Revelation 1.6, made us priests unto God. Those are statements that commission us as priests to God. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has made us priests unto God. And as priests, each one of us has the title of priest unto God. And there's a temptation for us to look at clergy and to say, well, they are the priests. I'm a parishioner. And some churches have clergy that are called priests. The temptation is to say, well, he's a priest. I'm not a priest. And so, you know, I give my money. They're paid. They're paid well. If they do their job, good. If they don't, fired. (laughs) But that's not true. Because Moses, speaking to all the Israelites, all the Jewish people, he told them in Exodus 19.6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. He wasn't talking to just the Levites. He was talking to all the Jewish people when he said, You will be a kingdom of priests. And the same is true of us as believers. God wants each believer to be a priest unto God. He told the Jewish people that they were to be that. And he said 
that the Gentiles are going to call the Jewish people the priests of the Lord in Isaiah 61.6. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you ministers of our God. You shall eat the rich of the Gentiles. See, in the same way, the law should know, they should know us today as priests unto God. That's how the law should know us. In our Christian life, praying for others as a priest becomes more and more natural and familiar if we understand that God is calling us to be priests unto the Lord, unto God. See, the first step in our Christian lives is to let God build us up as priests to do the work that Paul said that we need to do. And Paul said, first you have to do, your first step to be made a priest unto God is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, uh, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, just like a priest, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, step one is to show up at God's enlistment office. And showing up there, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We salute God. We say, reporting for duty, Lord, now you'd make me a priest unto God. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is something we do. It's not something that God does for us. It's something we do. That's why Romans 12.1 starts with this emphasis when he says, ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And what are we presenting our bodies for? To become a priest unto God. Or as Peter puts it, In 1 Peter 2, 5, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. So a great place to start in this priest priest work of the priest is to come to one of the chapel prayer meetings. Not that I'm putting in a plug for one of the chapel prayer meetings here, but it's a good place to start. And the great part about this is no matter how ragged we are, when we present ourselves in God's enlistment office to become a priest unto God, he takes us. He said, okay, you're hired. I'll take you. It's interesting how God says that when the Jewish people come as a living sacrifice to God, that he says he'll take them and he'll make them priests and Levites. They weren't priests and Levites, but he says, I'll make them priests and Levites. Isaiah 66, 20 through 21. And you shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations upon horses, chariots, litters, mules, and swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in the clean vessel, and I will also take of them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. See, being a priest is not a hobby, it's a job. And like any job, it's work. The last, last Wednesday prayer meeting, we all gathered at the prayer meeting here, the chapel, we worked as priests unto God. It was work. As priests unto God, we made our lists, 30, 40 items, and we prayed for every single one. We worked. And as we prayed, I take my pen, I check them off as we pray. And as a priest unto God, Jean was there, and she worked so hard that when she prayed for the people of Nepal, she wept. She wept. And when she wept, all I could think of was to say to God, God, Please, tell an angel, quick, run, go get a bottle and collect Jean's tears for a bottle of remembrance, like David prayed in Psalm 56, 8. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. When a priest unto God sheds tears, others may not understand that, but those tears of a priest unto God, they're powerful because the tears of a priest unto God are tears unto God. 
As Job put it in Job 16.20, My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. And in verse 4, we see Boaz as a priest unto God. And he's asking the Lord to be with the reapers. And so as a priest unto God, when Boaz prays in verse 4 for the Lord to be with his reapers, he's not just well-wishing those reapers. He, As a priest unto God, he knew that he had authority from God to pray for those reapers. He knew that he had power from God when he prayed for those reapers. He knew that he had responsibility to God to pray for those reapers. And when we look at Boaz, the priest unto God, in verse 4, praying for the reapers, we see what we're to do as priests unto God as we pray for others because Boaz, because like Boaz, we're all priests unto God. We have authority from God. We have authority from God to pray for others. We have power from God to pray for others. And we have responsibility to God to pray for others. Therefore, we don't pray for others because we want to pray for others. We pray for others because we are responsible to God to pray for others. And then we see in verse 5 that Boaz notices that there's a stranger in his field. And so he asked the foreman in verse 5, then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And Boaz has observed, there's a stranger over there. It's a stranger in my field. And he wants to know about this stranger. And now when Boaz gets the report about her, we can just see him, Boaz, we just see him, the things are percolating through his mind as the foreman's given him the report. And he says, you know, he's finding out for the first time. In verses 6 and 7, the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it's the Moabitish damsel. And we see it registered as mine, Moabitish. And that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And we see registered and came back, Moabitish, came back. And she said, I pray you. And says, she said, I pray you. Let me glean, gather the reapers among the sheaves. And so she came, and he registered, she came. And have continued, and registered, she continued, even from the morning until now that she tarried in the house just a little bit. And so now we can see Boaz, he's registering all these points in his mind. And he's getting impressed with them. And, he, and the first point, she's a Moabitish damsel. She's not a Jewish person. She's Moabitish. The second point, she came back with Naomi. And then she says, she's the kind of person that says, I pray you. Then she says, he says, she came and then she's continued. We can see him. He's taking all this in. He's understanding who Ruth is. So the first point that really impresses Boaz from verse 6, it's the Moabitish damsel. And when Boaz hears that, it's the Moabitish damsel, from the way the foreman has put it, he's put it, it's the Moabitish damsel. You know? And we come to understand that everyone in town has been talking about the Moabitish damsel. You know? And Ruth has become the topic of gossip. And, now, oh, did you hear about the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi? Whew, no, a Moabitish damsel? You don't say, that's awful. Yes, it is. It's awful for us. What if one of our fine young men takes an interest, wants to marry this Moabitish damsel? Then what are we going to do? See? The foreman, he didn't say, it's a Moabitish damsel. He said, it's the Moabitish damsel. As if to say, you know the one who I'm talking about. It's the talk of the town. Everyone wishes she never would have come here to our town, and everyone's wondering how long it's going to take and how many cold shoulders it's going to take before we drive her out. It's the Moabitish damsel that's come to your field. It was really hard for Ruth. You feel it? It was hard for Ruth, and we can get an idea of just how hard it was for Ruth when we consider those three words, the Moabitish damsel, and also we will give thanks to God to the measure that we see ourselves undeserving. 
That's the lesson that comes from there. And the lesson that comes from this good Samaritan is that he felt compassion because he'd been there. And the word compassion means to feel with. And the good Samaritan, he saw the wounds on the man. He felt the pain of the man. The good Samaritan saw how this man had been abandoned. And he had felt what it's like to be forsaken and to be abandoned. He saw the nakedness. He felt the coldness. He saw the wounds. He felt the pain. He saw the condition. He was there with that man. He had compassion. He felt with the man. Maybe the good Samaritan felt it because a Samaritan, maybe he had been ostracized. Maybe he had been forsaken. Maybe he had been beat up. We don't know. But whatever had happened, he was there and he felt it. And Boaz heard that this was the Moabitish damsel and Boaz had compassion on her. When Boaz heard in verse 6 that it was the Moabitish damsel, Boaz, he had compassion. He felt her pain. He felt her rejection. He felt her not being accepted in his society. He said that. He said, you came to a country, you came to a people, a country you didn't know. He felt it. And when Boaz heard in verse 6 that he had compassion, compassion. And so it's very important that we see this about Boaz because his feeling of compassion for her, where he felt her pain of which she left her country. She felt her pain when she left her people. He felt her pain when she left her family. And then in verse 7, when the foreman is saying to him, I, they, she, you know, she said to me, I pray you, let me. He feels her feeling of desperacy. She's begging. And he feels that. And then when Boaz heard that she wanted to come after the reapers, Boaz had compassion. He felt her loneliness and her isolation of being all alone there in the field with no friends and her fear. Maybe she's going to be attacked. He felt all that. And he heard in verse 7 that she'd worked from sunrise with practically no breaks. He has compassion and he felt her fear of not knowing where her next food's going to come from. And so when he hears that the foreman has told him all about her in verses 6 and 7, Boaz, like the good Samaritan, he has compassion. Let's freeze that scene. Let's freeze that scene in our minds of Boaz hearing and having compassion and ask ourselves the question, how about us? Are we like Boaz? When we see others, do we let our heart become so vulnerable that we feel compassion with them? It's so easy for us to go in life and we see, but we don't have compassion. We see others, we don't have compassion. It's so easy for us to listen to people and not really hear them. It's so easy for us to touch other people and not feel them. Because it's so easy for us to see the lost and not have compassion on them. It's so easy for us to listen to the lost and not hear what they're really saying. It's so easy for us to touch the lost and not feel them. We see and listen to and touch the lost in their aloneness, in their desperation, in their anxiety over the future, and we don't have compassion. We don't hear it. We don't feel it. Oh, for a heart like Boaz had like the good Samaritan had, like Boaz had, where he felt Ruth's anxiety and her fear and her isolation and her loneliness. Now, in verse 8, with this report from the foreman, Boaz is he's, he's at a crossroads now. He's at a crossroads. He's got to make a decision. Because the way that the foreman has put it to Boaz, he's stacking the deck. It's the Moabitish woman. It's the Moabitish damsel. It's that Moabitish woman, and there she is. And so Boaz has to make a decision uh, whether he's going to be the Boaz that's ashamed of Ruth and his field, 
Or is he going to be the Boaz that's not ashamed of Ruth in his field? Because if Boaz is going to be the Boaz that was ashamed of Ruth in his field, then Boaz would have taken this turn. He would have said, give her some money. Give her some money and just ask her to quietly leave the field and not broadcast that she's Ruth the Moabitess was his relative. If Boaz was ashamed of having Ruth in his field, then Boaz would have done anything to get her out of the field. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. 